so I wanted to share with you today, I had spoken back in February, and I, I talked a little bit about a passage in um, Luke. And, and Luke records, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record um, the, Jesus calling his disciples. And he, he, he records the, the events that took place on the Sea of Galilee when, he, when uh, Jesus found the disciples kind of preparing for the, for the next night's fishing. And Jesus is going to speak to the people. And so um, Peter and some of them are there. They're working on their nets. And, and Jesus asks them to push out. And they push out. And they begin, Jesus begins to, to share the gospel. And they have fished all night. And they've caught nothing. And then after he's done with his ministry in that moment, he, asks, he, he gives the disciples an opportunity to cast their nets. And they do. And they catch an abundance of fish. And, and they're so moved by this event that they, that they begin to follow him. They fall down. They worship him. And they begin to follow him. And we talked a little about that and we unpacked that, that verse. And like I said, it's recorded in three different gospels. And we talked about how hard it was to fish and, and what, what all it took to do that. And we kind of summed it up by talking about that extraordinary things happen in our daily lives when we push into the deep water. Because Jesus invited the disciples to push out and maybe do things in a different way that they had never done before. Um, and, and they end up experiencing an abundance and, and we're just so moved by that. But then we also close with a quote from um, Billy Graham that talks about that being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It's a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. Now, I'll be honest with you. When, when I started preparing for that sermon, I had also prepared for, for this one, not knowing I was going to be preaching today. But, but there's two different stories. John records uh, an occurrence at the Sea of Galilee, and so does Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But they're two different time frames. John's um, account is post um, resurrection, okay, and and the disciples have gone to Galilee and they're on the they're on the shore and Jesus comes and and they they go out fishing. I'm going to read the text here in a second, but but I want to be clear that this is not the same story that the other three gospels, but this is kind of towards the end of of Jesus' physical earthly ministry, right? That that um, he's about to ascend and 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 he's re- revealed himself to the disciples post the resurrection, but John records uh, a different occurrence, and I want to share that with you today. So we're in John chapter 21. Afterwards, Jesus appears again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas um, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize it was him. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the nets in because of a large number of fish. When the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard this, heard him say this, that it's the Lord, he wrapped out his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the nets full of fish, for they were far, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire, a fire burning uh, coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish you have caught." Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of a large number of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? 
they knew it was the Lord. Now, I want to I want to kind of unpack a little bit this for you. It, it's it's interesting. I spent months and months and months kind of reading this passage and studying. I can't tell you the countless amount of commentary that that I've read on this. And it's always interesting. Even this week, um, I was kind of late getting getting my notes to some of the staff because um, I've, I've rewritten this message two or three times. And, and even kind of what's presented this morning is very different because there is so much content here that it's almost impossible. I told Bobby I was actually nervous this morning because I've never had four pages of notes before, even with my bullet points. And there's just so much material. And I, I don't really know how to weed through it. I almost feel like one of those balloons that's full of air, and when you let it go, it just kind of goes wherever. I'm at. That's that's kind of what I kind of what I feel like. But I will tell you that that as I have as I have gone over and over and over to this, what the Lord has really revealed, revealed to me is how often um, we miss the message. <laughs> Okay, and I and I want to I want to kind of share what that means, and and I want to kind of unpack that, and I really do feel like that this ties into the series that we're in, because we're we're on this series in a series called Game Changer, where we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about the impact of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it, it's been very um, empowering for my wife and I, and and a very moving um, study for us. But at the same time, I, I want to stick with the theme, the Game Changer, because I, I think that that what John presents here is a game game changer for you and I. And so um, the, the very first thing I want to talk about is how in the very beginning of John, John starts off this passage with afterwards. And I think that that word is very key for us and kind of sets up what John is about to share. And the word afterwards really compelled me as I meditated on that, compelled me to go back and go, okay, John, after what? And so what I would do, what I did was I went back and I read John 1 through 20. And in my study, what I, I came to realize, and I mean, I already knew that, but I mean, I just really began to study the, the depth of what John was trying to accomplish in his passage. But, but John starts off with afterwards because he's painting this picture for you and I that after everything that he has shared with us, after everything that he has seen Jesus do, after everything that Jesus has done, after all of that, now I want you to see this. And so it's kind of like taking a magnifying glass and you want to point something out. And so John is wrapping up this gospel with this, with this chapter 21 and he's, he's basically putting a bow on it. He's saying, after everything I presented to you, I want you to see this. I want you to clearly understand this. And so he starts off with the word afterwards. Now, John's gospel is very different than the other three in the sense that John doesn't necessarily follow a chronological story as much as John focuses on a handful of miracles. And he begins to unpack the circumstances and the stories surrounding those miracles, and he's ultimately leading us somewhere. And the reason that John does this is that John had this desire to make sure that after he was done with his gospel, after he was done with his presentation, that he's presenting it to the, to the Israelites, that, that there's, there's no mistake to them that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting on. That John wants to make it very clear in his presentation that this is the one and he is the way. And so he comes at his gospel very different. And so this word afterwards is very important because John, remember, he's through chapter 1 through 20, he's painted this, this picture and presented this case. And now this is his closing argument, if you will.
The next thing that I wanted to kind of point out on this is that, that John goes on to make sure that he says, and this is how it happened, that he's, he's conveying to you and I that this was a first-hand account, that he was physically present and watched and witnessed this happen. And I think it's important for you and I because oftentimes when we share, when we share the gospel, when we share our story, uh, we fail to recognize that the most compelling part of the gospel is, is the work in our own lives, right? Like that's the most, that's the most compelling testimony that we've got, that, that we can give people text. We can, we can, I mean, people can read the Bible and, and I don't know how they do it, but they read through the Bible and they read through the scripture and they're unmoved. But what, what I've experienced in my own personal um, walk is that oftentimes what I'm most moved by is when I see evidence of God working in my life or in someone else's life. Like I look at something like, like Walter Charles and, and where he's at and there's no doubt that there's a God doing something because I know the prayer and the struggles and the work that's gone into making that happen. And, and so to see that come about is a miracle. We, the testimony that Nancy just showed us, when we, we see that and we know that God, that, that God did exceedingly abundantly more and so John wants us to understand that, that what I'm about to tell you is amazing. That this is the post the resurrection that, that, that our witness is the most powerful tool and that he's given us a first-hand account. He goes on, in fact, even before that, he reminds us that there were so many things that Jesus did, so many signs and wonders that he, he just couldn't record them all. I love the next part because he goes on to make sure that he includes all the disciples that were present. So he, he makes sure to give us uh, the usual suspects, the ones that were there and saw this happen. And I, I think he did this for a couple reasons. One, I, I really believe that, that he is trying to remind us that, that, these, that these men had walked with Jesus, that they were his disciples, and that they, they had, because of what they experienced, because of what they witnessed, there was a bond with them that was greater than anything that they had ever had before. And I know for me, I mean, I've been a part of this body now um, going on almost 18 years. And the relationships that I have, I have built here um, exceed many of the relationships I had prior to coming here. And I have walked through some amazing times, both raw and, and difficult and beautiful and amazing with some amazing people here. And, and I have been witnessed witnessed to their testimony and they have been a witness to my testimony I'm sure that there are some people in this room that can honestly while I still have a long way to go could probably say that I'm a little more patient than I was 15 years ago I'm a little bit more understanding and even that's a miracle that's a, that's a mountain being moved right there but John wants us to understand that, that we're built for a relationship, that these things that we're witnessing, that, that he's witnessing them together, that this isn't an isolated incident. The next thing that was interesting to me is after this, so they're, in, they're, they're there by the Sea of Galilee, and Peter goes, I'm going to go fishing. And the disciples go, well, okay, well, let's go with you. Now, it was interesting because most of the commentary centers around th these next few verses. And this kind of seems to be, if you read mo many summaries on, the, on, on John 21, this is kind of what it focuses on. Is it focuses on 
Peter and them being by the Sea of Galilee. And there's a lot of debate as to why they were there. But I will tell you that in, in Mark and Matthew, both of them, there are verses that allude to the fact that Jesus had told them to go to Galilee and wait. So Jesus and the disciples were most likely there because they were waiting on Jesus. But they find themselves by the shore, and, and as you know, many of them were already fishermen. It was their natural instinct, it was their, or their natural giftings and things like that. And so they're there, and they're kind of waiting for God to show up and do something. And so Peter goes, well, I'm just going to go fishing. And I think many of us can relate to that. Many of us find ourselves in, our, in circumstances and in seasons of our lives where we're waiting on God to do something. We don't really know what to do. And like Walter even shared, you know, and so he and his wife begin to pray, is that maybe it's time to, to, to do something else. And so Peter goes, hey, let's just go fishing. So they go fishing, and of course they fish all night, and they catch nothing. And then the next morning, I'm sure they were disappointed because they've, they've spent all night they, they, trying and to do something. You know, they just, they just, they're tired of waiting. They want to do something. Maybe they're hungry. I don't know. And, um, and so, but they have nothing to show for their effort. And Jesus is standing on the shore, and he calls out to them, friends, do you have any fish? And they say, No. And when you read a lot of the commentary, it centers on the fact that this is evidence of the fact that, that when we try to do things in our own strength, that our, that our efforts are in vain and that, that, we, um, that success, that this is a good example of, of Peter and them kind of abandoning their faith and abandoning their hope and, and they decide to go fishing and, and once again they're just proven that, that apart from Christ they can do nothing. And so it's not till Jesus reveals himself and, and shares with them or, or calls out to them and asks if they have any fish. That, that suddenly they, they find themselves casting their nets on the right side and they have it in abundance. But I want to challenge you that, that while that was miraculous, and I do want to spend a second on there, that, that that's not the greatest miracle that John is presenting to us. Again, I'm not sure why they were fishing. Maybe they were hungry. Maybe they were bored. Maybe they're like many of us and they were just tired of waiting. But, but they found themselves doing what they were comfortable with. We see that throughout Scripture. We see um, great men and women through the, through the Bible having incredible, incredible encounters with God and, and have some great God moments. And then in a moment of weakness or in a moment of doubt or in a moment of fear or a moment of worry, they, they look back. The children of Israel did it all the time. They would look back at Egypt while they were going towards the Promised Land and go, well, maybe it would just be easier to go back there. We know that, that David and other, other figures in the Bible had incredible encounters with God and did mighty things in, in God's name only to find themselves in a moment of weakness taking matters in their own hands and and failing and there's absolute truth in that there's absolute truth in the fact that that peter and them were called to be fishers of men that, that jesus had invited them into this new way of life and that he had called them to perhaps abandon the, the old way of doing things for a new way of doing things every bit of that is true and and it is true that you and I are are going to be the most successful in our lives and we're going to be the most fulfilled in our lives and we're going to have the most um, we're going to feel the most blessed in our lives when we're walking in obedience but I also 
I'm also reluctant to just make that simple comparison because oftentimes what I find to be true, I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about how I'm not a wealthy man, um, but I love Christ and I've, I'm, I, as much as, as I can every day, I seek to, to do the work that, that, that God has called me to. But I look at somebody like Warren Buffett who is extremely wealthy and generous, but, will, but in his own words acknowledge that he's agnostic. He doesn't he doesn't have a problem with people believing something ever different, but he just, he just says, hey, I don't, I don't know what the truth is, and so I don't, I don't really choose to believe anything. But by the world's standard, this is a man that's extremely blessed. I know doctors and lawyers and politicians and other people who seem to be extremely successful and, and have the world by the, you know, by, right in their hands, but, but they would not acknowledge Christ as their Lord and Savior. But if you were to measure success by the earthly standards, they would have that. They would be, would be successful. And I think oftentimes, we, if we're not careful, we create this infomercial gospel, right? Like, that we, like we, we would look at a passage like this and go, see, here, here's a good example. If you, wanna, if you want to have an abundance, if you want to be blessed, then you need to be obedient to Christ. Because Peter wasn't obedient and when he went out and he tried to fish on his own, he got nothing. But, but then how do you reconcile that with the verse that says that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And I think that the reason that John chooses to, to unpack this and put this as the final chapter is because he, he wants to be cautious that we, we, we stop focusing on the miracles and rather we focus on the miracle provider, right? That, that because, you know, we, we, have, we have to be careful that we don't compare have and have not to Jesus being faithful versus not being faithful. Or we don't have, we, we have to be careful that we don't, if we go out and we do something and it doesn't work the way that we did, we can't let our immediate assumption be, oh, well, that must not have been God, right? Because there's been times in my life where I know that I was doing what God called me to do, but it did not produce the result that I had hoped it would produce. And so John has painted his, has, has placed his whole trust um, on this picture. He's painting in, in making sure that people understand who Jesus is through his miracles. But he's ultimately driving to one point that we're about to get to. And that that is we, we, we can't just focus on the miracles. And here's why. I was reminded when, when I was reading through that and he threw the nets on the right side and he caught a bunch of fish... You know, it would have been real quick to go, well, see, that, that's proof right there. But that's not what Jesus didn't tell Peter and them, that their success was going to rise and fall by how many fish they caught. In fact, Peter was asked a question um, prior to that about how, who, who do people say that I am? In Matthew, um, Peter, Jesus asked the disciples, who do, you, who do people say I am? And they begin to give answers. And all of a sudden, Peter goes, well, you're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And Jesus goes, Peter, that knowledge wasn't given to you by earthly things. That was given to you by God. And it's that truth. It's that rock. It's that foundation that I'm going to build my church on. And I think that what John is trying to remind us of here is that it, the, the true miracle in this story is not that they went out and didn't catch fish and then they did. The true miracle in this story is that Jesus showed up. That the Messiah that we've been waiting on, the one that brings healing and wholeness to our lives, that he showed up. That while we were waiting, 
while we were going about doing the work of our hands, whether we were successful or unsuccessful, Jesus showed up. Because it's the next few verses that have become so endearing to me over these last few days. Our journey of faith is one that we often don't realize, we don't see the successes until we're on the backside of it, right? Because God says that he's the one that knows the plans that he has for us in Jeremiah, the plans to bless us and prosper us and, and, and bring us hope, right? God knows the plans that he has for me. I, I make plans, but God ultimately knows the plans that he has for me. And so what's interesting is when this, when this happens, immediately it, it says that the, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, it's funny when I read that passage, I mean, when I read the commentary on that, you know, a lot of people uh, give John a hard time for referring to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. But man, I, I began to weep as I studied that and I thought, what if I referred to myself that way? What if, what if I truly, in the depths of who I am, honestly believed that Jesus loved me? That, that I didn't need blessings, I didn't need things, I didn't need circumstances to, to affirm that, that I knew deep in my heart that Jesus loved me. And upon Peter hearing that it was Jesus, I, the first thing that came to mind was that scene in Forrest Gump when Forrest Gump's standing on the boat and he sees Lieutenant Dan and he starts waving and he just launches into the water and he leaves the boat, you know, and the boat like runs into the pier. Jesus, when he realizes that it's Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't remark about the fish. He doesn't give us commentary on the fish. He sees Jesus on the shore and he leaves what we perceive as the miracle, the fish, the nets, he leaves all of that behind and jumps in the water and swims to the shore because he understands that the true miracle is standing on the shore. That the Christ who promised that if you tear down this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. That that Christ who's already revealed himself, who told him to go to Galilee and waited, that Christ showed up right where he said he was going to be when he said he was going to be there. And John understood that it was Christ because he knew in the depth of his soul that he loved Jesus and that Jesus loved him and he recognized his voice. And, they, and Peter, when he realized it was Jesus, jumps in and swims to the shore. And then the, the verse, the chapters go on, I mean, the verse goes on to tell us a little about how many fish they had, but I, I love what happens next. It's because when they landed, they saw burning coals with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you just caught. What came to my mind in that passage for you and I is, is the story of the prodigal son. See, Jesus while they were still out there fishing, went ahead and prepared a fire, went ahead and cooked a meal, then invited them to fish again, knowing and preparing to break bread with them. And in the prodigal son, we see that same picture. We see that same illustration because it says when the son decided to return to his father as he was still walking towards his father, his father, while the son was still a long ways off, saw him 
and, and ran to him and embraced him and put a robe on him and put a ring on him and then looked at the servants and said, go get the fattened calf. Not go fatten a calf, not, oh, did we prepare a calf? No. The father was so convinced that the son was going to return that he was waiting for him. And then when he saw him, he went and greeted him and he prepared the blessings that he already had for him. But I love the fact that Jesus looked at the disciples and even though Jesus knew that they had fished all night and caught nothing, even though he knew he had given them an opportunity to fish and given them an abundance, he looks at them and doesn't say, go get the fish that I gave you. He said, go get the fish that you caught. He still, in that moment, is inviting them to be a part of what he's doing. He's not looking at them and going, well, how did fishing go for you? In fact, it even says in there when Jesus asked them that if he had any fish, that he didn't do it in a condescending way. Clearly, the tense indicates that Jesus already knew the answer. But the the story that I shared was earlier was it was like when my son was much younger and he didn't have the ability to really put Legos together. He was trying to put a a car together some years ago and and we were getting so frustrated with one another because I wanted to do it for him. Probably because I love Legos more than he does, but that's beside the point. Um, But I left the room to let him do it, and I came back knowing that it was really going to be very little progress. But I asked him, I said, how's it going, buddy? And I didn't, I didn't ask that in a condescending judgment away. And he's like, well, I can't get this, and I can't get this. And I'm like, okay, well, let's do it together. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come up, but I want to close with this thought. You know, I've been praying all week and on how to how to close out each service, and 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 it occurred to me that many of you may be may be like me, and, and maybe when you've read that passage, you've you've missed the Messiah for the miracle. That that you you focused on the miracle rather than the Messiah, and and I want to encourage you and challenge you today that the, that the greatest miracle that John shares with us is that Jesus is who he says he is. That the one that you and I have been waiting for is here. Right where you're at. That that while you and I in our own strength are trying to do things, Jesus is preparing. And and I first wanted wanted to challenge those of us in the room that are believers... Because I know if you're like me, oftentimes you, you find yourself in the midst of your struggles trying in your own strength to, to overcome them, right? Maybe you're struggling with doubt or fear or anger or bitterness or pride. or I mean, I, I could stand up here and list a ton of things. But oftentimes we try in our own strength to find freedom in those. And... and and the, the thought that came to my mind is what if your struggle for freedom lies not in your fishing for freedom but in the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to free us? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're in this room today and, and, and you can say that, that I have an area of my life that I, that I need help with, I want you to stand up. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you can say... I need more patience. I need more understanding. I need more. I, I need. I need to be more compassionate. I, I'm, I have anger towards this person. I need to get over that. I have. 
I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm not, I'm not sure that that I like this person. I, I'm not sure that I, I like my kids some days. I mean, I, I don't know what your struggle is, but if you're in here today and you know that, that there's something in you that you need freedom from, I want you to stand up. And, and maybe you're here today and, and you don't even know Jesus. And you're going, I, I don't know what my struggles are because I don't know. I, I invite you to stand up too. But, but what I want you to do is I want you to look around the room and I want you to notice there's a lot of people standing. And for those of you in the room that, that, that maybe you've never encountered Jesus and you don't know Jesus, maybe you've been fishing, but right now the only freedom that you're going to get is in faith. And maybe that the freedom that you've been looking for comes in the faith of Jesus to do what he says he's going to do. Jesus told the disciples to cast their nets on the right side because remember he was making them fishers of men. So what I want you to do is I want you to place your right hand on the shoulder of the person beside of you. And if there's not somebody on your right side, place your your hand on the shoulder of the person in front of you, okay? And, And if you're watching this online, I want you to know my, my right hand is extended for you. We're going to pray right now, and then, and then Walter is going to sing this song again. And, and I, I want to close reminding you that, that after all of this, Jesus, the last verse I talked about, what Jesus did was after he had, after they realized who he was and they had swam to the shore and the fire was going, Jesus looked at him and he said, Come. That's our message today, is that Jesus is inviting us to come. And I love what it said, that the disciples dared not ask who he was because they knew. My prayer is for you and I today that we would know at the depth of our soul who Jesus is. That we would find freedom and faith. That we wouldn't miss the Messiah for the miracles. Because the miracles are meant to point to the Messiah. They're meant to be evidence to testify to the fullness and greatness of who Christ is. Let's pray. Father God, right now, we pray for freedom. We pray for faith. Lord, with our right hands and extended on our brothers and sisters, we pray, God, that you do exceedingly abundantly more than we can imagine or hope for. And we don't even have to know the circumstances of the person standing beside us because, Holy Spirit, you testify to that. You know what's going on in the depths of our souls. And so right now as we pray, if if anybody feels led to pray for the person beside of you, I encourage you to do that. I invite the prayer team to come up now. And if you're you're here and and you, you want prayer specifically for something... We have prayer team members up front. We have prayer team members in the back. And and I know that it's difficult, but I encourage you right now to, to walk out of your seat and come forward. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus, I invite you to come forward and, and allow one of these prayer team members to, to pray with you or go to the back corner. But Father God, we know that you're here. And I pray that every heart runs, swims, jumps, leaps towards who you are. And as we close in worship today and as Walter sings, Lord, we thank you that the ultimate miracle is you live. And it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name.